All right, if you want to grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. We are concluding our series on amazing grace this morning in a chapter of the Bible where the word does not appear and yet the concept is uh, prevalent throughout these parables that Jesus told, very well-known parables. In uh, some cases, we looked at the prodigal son last week. This week, we want to pick up the reading in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15, and we will read to the end of the chapter. Luke 15, beginning in verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Lord God, as we hear Jesus tell the rest of this story, we pray that the sacred truths contained therein would sink deeply into our hearts so that we can see you clearly and know you for who you really are. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. There's part of me that wishes that I could tell you that Luke chapter 15 ended at verse 24. That it ended with the lost son back in the house of blessing, with the father, enjoying the feast of a lifetime. And they lived happily ever after, as it were. I wish I could tell you that all was well in the father's house, that everyone accepted the son back into the family, even as the father did. But, sadly, all is not well in the father's house. And Jesus gives us the rest of the story. The rest of the story that we, let's face it, we, we aren't really as familiar with this part of the story as we are with verses 11 through 24. We know the prodigal son. It's a text that is preached often. It's a text which is dearly loved. But we really don't pay that much attention to the rest of the story. Where we see a God who is gracious even to those who refuse to show grace. That God is gracious even to the graceless. That's what verses 25 through 32 are about. It begins with quiet questioning. Verses 25 through 27. Here's the older brother out in the field. And he's no doubt busily working for his father out in the field. 
toiling away under the hot sun. You can envision it in the theater of your mind. And he came and drew near to the house. Don't miss that, drew near. Because it is the same root that is used back in chapter 15, verse 1. We saw how the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, drawing near to Jesus. And now here is this older son, and he's drawing near. Same root in the original language. That's intentional, I believe, as Jesus is closing the narrative, closing the circle on this story. And as he drew near, he heard music and dancing. There's a celebration going on. What's this ruckus about, this hokum and bunkum, as it were? What, what's all this then? And so he called a servant over and asked, what do these things mean? And verse 27 is the servant explaining to the older son uh, what's happened. The old, your brother, your younger brother's come. Your father has killed the fattened calf. He's received him back safe and sound. Don't miss that. The father received the younger son back. And again, the term there that's used for received, you're supposed to make the connection back to verse 2 about the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, saying, this man received, same family of words. This is Jesus, the master storyteller, closing the circle. The father has received the sinful son, even as the Savior, the Lord Jesus, is receiving the tax collectors and the sinners. There's a parallel action here that exists within the Godhead. That if you've seen the Son receiving sinners, then guess what? You've seen the Father receiving sinners. Distinction, don't get me wrong. The Father is not the Son, and yet God the Father and God the Son engage in the very same action. That there is unity, harmonious unity that exists within the three persons of the one Godhead. And so the father is feasting, and he's celebrating, and there's music, and there's dancing, and he's, he's eating, and, and he's doing all of this with that wasteful, sinful son. And, and so we've, we've made the connection that Jesus is telling this parable to everyone, but, but it's specifically aimed especially at the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling. Oh, you're grumbling about me receiving sinners. Well, let me tell you about this father who receives sinners as well. One writer put it this way, the Pharisees could not bear the thought of sharing the joys of the world to come with people whom they had despised as hopeless sinners in this world. Now, we see verse 28, the son is angry, angry at the father's grace. That's why I've entitled this sermon, Angry at Grace. That is what, that's, that's the older son's beef. He's angry at his father's grace, at just how gracious his father is. He refused to go in, so the father comes out to him. The father goes seeking his son. We've talked, we've already seen those first two parables 
about a shepherd who goes in search of a lost sheep and a woman who goes in search of a lost coin. That our father, he goes searching when we go missing. Well, the older son is missing. He's MIA. And the father goes out into the field in search of him and entreated him. He speaks kindly to him. And then we notice the the, the source of the son's outrage here. And we note, first of all, that he, the son, the older son, is performance-driven. He's performance-driven. Verse 29, notice he says, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed. I, I did this. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's performance-driven, and it begins, first of all, by marking time. All these years, look at my track record. Look at how long I've been. He marks time. He tracks behavior. I've served you. I've, I've never disobeyed. And what do I get from you? You never. You see how he not only tracks his own behavior. And let me explain to you what I've been doing for you, Father. But then he notes the Father's behavior. You never gave me even a young goat. He feels entitled. I never disobeyed your orders, so you owe it to me to do this for me. And, and yet you never did. Mark's time, tracks behavior, feels entitled. One writer put it this way, the danger of the man of habit is that he becomes mechanical, doing his part steadily, but without the oil of gladness. So he's performance-driven, this older son is, but he's also relationally distant there is a gap between the son and the father and, and and the son cannot identify the older son can't identify with the father in a number of ways he can't understand his father's nature his father how can you forgive how can you forgive like this how can you be so lavish in your forgiveness how can you be so gracious to this son of yours? He can't identify and, and share with the father's joy. Your son, he devoured your property. How can you celebrate when he comes home? So he can't identify, again, with, he can't share in the father's joy. Can't identify with the father's nature, share in his joy. And he also can't identify with the father's heart. Father's heart, which is filled with mercy, it's filled with grace, it's filled with love. So not only can't he, can he not identify with the Father in these areas, but he also has a misunderstanding about his own identity. He does not know what it means to be a son. It shows up in... What he says there in verse 29, these many years, I have served you. Literally, it could be rendered, I've slaved for you. You remember what the younger son wanted, what he, part of his rehearsed speech when he came home. He said, I'm, I'm not worthy to be one of your sons. Make me as one of your servants, one of your slaves. The father, he doesn't even let that come out. He is all over the boy, right? And now here is the older son and he doesn't understand what it means to be a son in a father's house. 
I'm, I'm a slave for you. I've slaved all these years, and you never did. He doesn't understand what it means to be a son because he sees himself as merely a slave. Performance-driven, relationally distant, and then he's also possessions-focused. He's focused on possessions. I explained last week how when the younger son asks for his share of the inheritance, not only does it communicate to the father, I wish you were dead, but what would have happened when the father indulges that is he would, the father would have divided his property into thirds. This is the way they did it in their day. The older son would have got the double portion. He would have got two-thirds. The younger brother would have got one-third. And yet here is the older son essentially saying, he got more than me. My sons do this. Maybe, maybe your children have done this, right? He got more than me. She got more than I did, right? That's what siblings do, I guess. He got more than me. You see, I, I've been serving you all this time. I didn't even get a young goat. Where's my goat? He got my goat, right? Well, again, the inheritance had been split. He got his two-thirds. He got the double portion. He's blind to it. Doesn't see it. Refuses to see it. And yet, he got the fattened calf. I didn't even get a young goat. I got nothing. You see, when you're focused on the wrong things, your values and your priorities get all mixed up. And that is where this older son is. This is why he's angry at grace, even at the grace of his father. Now, we know from Scripture but a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says that. Soft, not in the sense, you know, someone being soft on sinners. It's gentle. It's a gentle response that turns away wrath. And so we notice the father, as he engages his enraged son, provides that gentle answer in order to turn away the wrath of the son, his older son. And so notice how he begins his speech. He said to him, son, remember, the son doesn't really understand what it means to be a son. He's lost sight of his, his identity, his, his standing before the father. And so the father reminds him, you're not a slave. Son, it's in the emphatic position. It's intended to communicate, no, you're, you're not a slave. You're my son. You've always been my son. Not only that, you've always been with me. You, you've always been in the house of blessing. It's, you've had access to all of those blessings all these many years. And that's the other part. All that is mine is yours because you are a son. The father had held nothing back. The son had had access to the house of blessing. This is an indictment of the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day. That's what, that's what the end of these parables is all about, is Jesus turning the mirror and facing it directly toward the Pharisees and the scribes and saying, you are missing it. You are not understanding the nature of your Father in heaven. That they had all of the privileges and the prerogatives that go along with being the chosen people of God. This is something that Apostle Paul identifies in Romans 9 and verse 4 and verse 5 also. Romans 9 verses 4 and 5. He talks about how they are Israelites. To them belong, notice, the adoption, the glory, 
the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. You get all these blessings, all these privileges and prerogatives that go along with being Israel, the people of God. The capstone is, even the Messiah came from you guys. And yet, in spite of all of those privileges and blessings that go along with that position, that they are sons, instead, they choose to stand out in the cold, away from the Father, away from His house. They choose to be angry at just how gracious He is at receiving sinners. They should be in the house. They should be rejoicing. But instead, they scoff at the manifold wisdom of God. And they scoff at just how ridiculously gracious he is in blessing sinners. It was fitting, verse 32 says. It was fitting. Your translation may say, it's right. It's good too. The force of this is, is very strong. It was necessary that we rejoice. You see, when sinners come home to the Father's house of blessing, what is required is rejoicing. Resentment, there's no room for it. Rejoicing is required when this happens. This has been the steady theme throughout each of these parables. Verses 6 and 7, you had the shepherd saying, Rejoice with me. And then Jesus explaining that, yeah, in heaven there's joy over one sinner who repents. In verses 9 and 10, you had the woman saying to her friend, Rejoice with me. And then in verse 10, there's joy in heaven before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then when we, we saw the end of the parable last week, verses 23 and 24, let us eat and celebrate. And so they began to celebrate. That what is required is celebration. I'll, I'll never forget that uh, it was the day that Brother Terry was baptized. We also baptized uh, Kelly Woodward. Some of you may remember Kelly uh, from Traveler's Motel. And uh, when, right before she was baptized, you know, we were, we kind of gave uh, Terry the mic, we gave Kelly the mic. One of the things Kelly said was that, that we were going to have a Holy Ghost party that day. See, that's, that's exactly right. Kelly nailed it. That when, that when sinners come home, we need to have a Holy Ghost party. All of heaven rejoices. The Father, God the Father rejoices. God the Son rejoices. God the Holy Spirit rejoices. All of the angels around the throne rejoice. They celebrate. They throw a party. Because a sinner has come home. J.C. Ryle uh, put it this way. He said, Nothing ought to give us such pleasure as the conversion of souls. It makes angels rejoice in heaven. It ought to make Christians rejoice on earth. And we also see that the Father stands ready, waiting, and willing to receive even those older brothers their sisters, maybe angry at grace. That he's kind of like it's kind of like Motel Six, right? We'll leave the light on for you. 
our Father leaves the light of His grace on. He leaves the light of His mercy on. He leaves the light of forgiveness on. He leaves the light of His love on for all of us. I wish I could tell you that the story ends here with a, a happily ever after. That, that the father is, what we see at the end is he's rejoicing with both of his sons in the house. That, that the father uh, here, he, he embraces his older son and the older son embraces his father and, and there's repentance on his part. And, 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 and then there's the scene in the house where the older brother and the younger brother embrace and and there's celebration, and there's rejoicing. And I, I wish I could tell you that this older son, he did repent of his poor attitude and, and the unforgiveness and, and the gracelessness that was in his heart. I wish I could tell you that that's how the story ends, but it doesn't end that way. It ends rather abruptly with verse 32. This, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, and that's the end. A weird way to end a story, Jesus. We're left with the question, like, well, did the son repent? Where's the happy ending, Jesus? Did he repent? And maybe that's the point. That's the point of this parable is to confront the original audience with the lavish grace of the Father. Jesus providing, as he always does, a, a clear perspective of the Father in heaven, and confronting the Pharisees and the scribes and essentially saying, balls in your court, how are you going to end the story? You going to repent? You going to come home? Father's left the light on for you. Come on in. Don't stay out there in the cold, out in the field. Come in and celebrate with God. And by the way, it confronts even us today, doesn't it? Do we harbor unforgiveness? Do we harbor gracelessness in our hearts? Do we celebrate when, when souls are converted and when sinners come home? All of these questions, they confront us as well, even today. I do suppose that if there is an ending to the story, that the Pharisees are the ones who do finish the story. That God, he extends his invitation through his son, through Jesus. God the Father calling to these sinners through God the Son and they end up executing the son for it. The lifeline to God stands right in front of them, and he is giving them the words of life. Who else has the words of life? Nobody. It's Jesus who has the words of life, and they refuse to listen, and they refuse to be saved, and instead they determine to remain in the rebellion, and just a few short weeks from when Jesus told this parable, they will be the ones who shout, crucify him, crucify him. They will be the ones who give approval as the Romans pound those nails into the sacred flesh of Christ. But if there is an ending to the story, it is that they hate the picture that God the Son has presented to them of God the Father, and they crucify the Son of God for it. They refuse the invitation. They will not enter the house of blessing. They remain in the rebellion. Again, one writer puts it this way. What happened a few weeks later when the passion drama was acted and some 40 years later when the city of Jerusalem was sacked, that tells us something of what subsequently happened to the elder son 
in the Lord's parable. And it's a lesson for all of us. Do not remain outside the house of blessing. Do not remain distant from the Father. We are called to forsake, to repent of whatever whatever attitudes are not in keeping with the Father's attitude. Whatever actions are not in keeping with the Father's actions, we are to forsake those and we are to celebrate with the Father and to share in His joy and to embrace sinners when they come home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit within us, you would cultivate and develop the fruit of the Spirit. One of those, of course, being joy. We pray that we would rejoice with you and with all of heaven when sinners come home. We pray that we would unite with you in in being gracious to others. And we pray that we would put on display Christ, that Christ would live in us and through us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.